Amen. Praise the Lord. One small book, four big lessons. Amen. We continue today with Colossal, our study in the book of Colossians. And today we will speak about Colossal Authority. Good morning, church. Are you awake? I trust you are well, that you've been well this week, and that you are prepared. I trust you've enjoyed our time of uh, worship together, and uh, you are ready for this morning's message. Last week, last week's big lesson is that we have a colossal Savior, amen, a powerful Savior, and of course, with Him comes a colossal salvation. That is why we can sing the kind of stuff we've been singing here today. Things like, nothing can stand against the power of our God. Huh? And you're not being arrogant when we say things like this, because Jesus is all-powerful. Amen? We, we learned in chapter 1 that Jesus is the creator of all things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. That is, material things and spiritual things, the things that you cannot see, he created. <laughs> Amen? And all authorities and powers were created by him and for him. Hallelujah. Therefore, no authority or power is greater than Jesus. And then we, we sang stuff like this. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees. Amen. <laughs> With my hands lifted high, oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet. I'll sing through the night, oh God, the battle belongs to you. Because he is all-powerful. He is the creator. He is almighty God. Amen. The battle belongs to the Lord. So our fight is on our knees in prayer and communion with him. And before we get into today's message, I think we should go to the Lord in prayer and do some battle right now. Why? As you know, tomorrow is election day in South Africa. There is a lot of excitement, a lot of hope, but there is also a lot of fear and a lot of anger. And so let us join together now and pray that tomorrow will be a peaceful day of elections. Amen. Let us pray that everyone will be able to cast their vote freely without intimidation and manipulation from sinister groups of people. We are called to pray for the peace of our cities, for the peace of the nation. And so I encourage you all to pray. Those of you watching in other countries, I, I ask you, pray for South Africa. And those of you who are South African citizens, do go and vote. Every vote counts. There are those who say that if they don't vote, they're sending a message. No, you're not sending a message. You're causing more political problems. So do go and vote if you are illegible. Amen. So come, let us pray. Let us all stand together and let's pray. Let's lift this nation before the Lord. Let's go before God because He is the one who ultimately controls the destiny of the nations. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. And Father, we come to you today, Lord. We come with boldness, Lord God. Not with arrogance, Lord. With boldness. We come as children before their father, knowing that their father is almighty, all-powerful. Knowing that the Lord Jesus is the one who created all authorities and powers for him, by him, and for him, Lord. And so we come to you today, Lord, and say, Lord, let tomorrow be a day full of peace. Let there be peaceful, free, and fair elections in this nation. Lord, we pray against each and every force that would try to rise, to disrupt, to disturb, to hinder the orderly and safe procedure in every voting station. Lord, let your angels be encamped around those places, Lord God. Let every evil work be exposed and stopped and hindered in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray that God's will will be done in these elections, Lord. And Father, when the results come out, we pray for grace. 
to accept the election results, that there will not be violent disputes nor angry reactions. Father, we pray for the divine, for divine intervention, Lord, and that this will be a week of peaceful elections. We commit this country to you. We pray your blessing over it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. I see Jeremiah and that was all with us a couple of weeks ago. I had the joy of officializing their marriage. Congratulations, Mr. and Mrs. Amen. Bless the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, let's get back to Colossians. If you missed part one last week, please go over and watch it. I, I gave some important background information about this book, so please go there and take a look. The church in Colossae had been planted by Epaphras, who was a disciple of the Apostle Paul. Paul had not been to this church. He had received a report from Epaphras about the good things happening in the church and also about some threats that were coming towards that church. Although the believers were remaining strong in their faith and, and trusting in Jesus as their only source of salvation, there were those who were trying to confuse the believers with heresies, false teachings, wrong teachings. And guess what? They are still with us today. They are still people today. Continues today. For example, if you go to the internet, man, it is loaded with rubbish, with heresies, trying to distract, trying to capture unsuspecting Christians, naive Christians, maybe new in the faith. They're trying to get these people away into different paths. And Paul wrote this letter to encourage the church and also to bring correction and instruction. Many people in Colossae had begun to receive the gospel and believe the message of Christ, that Christ lives in them, and that because of that, they have salvation. But what happened is opposition began to arise from people with different ideas, different philosophies. And they tried to make their way into the Christian church. The main ideologies threatening the church at Colossae were the following. <clears throat> Worshipping of angels. Because that was a prevailing cult in Colossae. They were known for angel worship. There was also legalism. Some of the Jews, the Christian Jews, wanted the Gentile, the non-Jewish believers, to abide by Jewish laws. They reckon, no, you've got you've to also do our stuff to be a proper Christian. Then there was asceticism. This is the idea of severe self-discipline and avoiding of all forms of indulgence or pleasure. Typically for religious reasons. You see this a lot in religions like Hinduism, Buddhism. You know, they abstain from everything. But you, you find this as all creeping into the church. And that's what was happening in Colossae. They were trying to get the Christians to live that way so that they could attain salvation. Then Gnosticism. Those are the people that claim to have special inner knowledge, secret knowledge. Come, I've got to, I've got, I'm going to show you something. It's a revelation God gave to me. Nobody else has it. Let me share it with you. And then, of course, there was syncretism. Syncretism is the mixing of religions. The combining of different religions together to form another religion. And this was common in Central Asia Minor in those days. The disturbing thing is that 2,000 years later, these heresies are still with us today. Maybe in different forms, but it is still there. Some of them have infiltrated the Christian church and led some away from the simplicity of the gospel. So I think today's chapter is an important chapter for all of us. We need to take heed to what Paul is saying. Because in chapter 2, Paul will address some of these problems. This chapter lays a foundation for believers to confront heresies and faith challenges. And reveals the colossal 
authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember in my own Christian walk from my teenage days, often referring back to this chapter to fight um, ideas in the church, even within Christian church and from other cults that they're trying to, especially as a student, they're trying to convince me you know, of other religions. And this chapter would be my, one of my go-to chapters to find my foundation in the faith. So, I'm reading from the New International Version today. We're going to read through chapter 2, and I'm starting with verses 1 to 3. And Paul says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, Again, Paul mentions the mystery of God. You see, it had been hidden for, hidden for years. Nobody understood this mystery of God. And then Jesus came and it was revealed that in Jesus, God has provided salvation. Jesus is God in human form. He came to reveal us God. And in him is hidden all the knowledge and all the wisdom. Why? Because of chapter 1, where he says Jesus created everything. All authorities, all powers. When you create something, you've got the full knowledge of the thing you created. And so if you want to have knowledge and wisdom, where do you go to? The source. Jesus Christ. But it requires an intimate relationship with him. And of course, Paul's desire is what any sincere pastor or church leader desires. This is what I desire, that believers, that you, you watching, you hear, you may understand who Christ is and believe in him with all your heart. And why do I want this? Why did Paul want this? Because all wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus. If you're not grounded in Jesus, you're going to fall for any silly theory out there. And you're going to be worshipping trees and stars and animals and yourself. There's a very strong culture these days where we worship ourselves that, you know, we are gods. <laughs> anyway, we'll get there. So Paul says, wisdom and knowledge is hidden in Christ. And so you've got to get to know Christ. Spend time with him to get to know that knowledge and wisdom. Amen. We had this word this morning, we have to abide by the shadow of the Almighty. Look, that's a figure of speech because there is no shadow in God, okay? Light does not have shadow. It's a figure of speech because to be in the shadow, like the said, you've got to be close to the person. The idea here, the idea in the Bible is that you've got to get close to God. The world says, no, God is far, far away. You must create your own life and you must be on God. No, the Bible says God is near. We are the ones who put a distance between us and God. But he's near. He's been near from the beginning, from the days of the fall. God was there all the time with man. And so let's draw close to Jesus. Amen? And so Paul begins to instruct the Colossians and to help them in understanding. Verse 4. I tell you this so that no one may what deceive you by fine-sounding argument. Listen, back in those days, the Greeks were especially known for their ability to persuade people with their philosophies and arguments. For the Greeks, for many of them, this was a full-time occupation. They'd sit in these temples and in these places and just discuss philosophy the whole day. You find the book of Acts, Paul going to Greece and having discussions with these guys. And, and so he says, be careful. They, they've got a way with words. And they can entice you with their words. He says, they'll deceive you with the, those words. And as I read through the, 
the chapter and highlight these challenges, I want you to realize that still today, 2021, here in Pretoria, and wherever you are watching, these guys are still around. Not necessarily Greeks, okay? But people with an ability to entice you with their words, to present to you an idea, a belief, a theory, an alternative way of believing. They are good with their words. And we need to be aware of their danger. Their argument sounds good, but it is a deception. Verses 5 to 7. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Now remember, Colossians is not a textbook. You know, he's not laying, laying principles down in chapter and heading and so on. It is a letter. He wrote a letter to a church. When you write a letter, you have a conversation. And, and as you go through this conversation, what happens is sometimes you repeat something you said before because you want to emphasize that. And that's what he's doing over here. And he does it throughout the letter. It keeps on going back to certain things and emphasizing those things. He will teach, he'll praise the church, he'll encourage the church, and, and he goes on like this. And here again, he's praising them for their discipline and faith, and then he encourages them to continue rooted, founded in Christ, and built up. And the word built up here is a continuous thing. You, you don't get built up in a day. Building is a process. And in our spiritual walk with the Lord, it is a lifelong process. And so not only must we remain founded and rooted in Christ, but we must continue to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Depending on our backgrounds, some of us will take longer, some of us a shorter time to handle the foundations, but all of us have has room for growth. I was born in a Christian home. I've been hearing about the Bible since I can remember myself. Guess what? I'm still learning. <laughs> I'm still growing. Because God is infinite. <laughs> you know, so in this life, I'm never going to reach a point where I say, that's it, I know everything. Listen, the day I say that is the day I stop growing. Is the day I have managed to fool myself. The day you say, oh, I know everything about the Bible. I know everything about God. I know everything about Jesus. I know everything. The day you say, I know everything about anything, you are deceived. Hello? We are all growing, and he wants us to continue growing. Then comes some more teaching, verses 8 to 10. See to it that no one takes you captive. Be careful. We can be taken captive if we don't watch out. How? Through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Wow, what a passage. This passage is specked. We could spend the whole day on this one. Maybe two sermons just on this one. Paul first makes it plain that the philosophies going around, all these ideas, all these religions, all these heresies, they are hollow and deceptive. And then he states that they are based on human tradition. Now, what is human tradition? Traditions that we humans in our fallen state, in our broken state, have created. A broken person, a broken, a, a fallen human, if he creates something, a tradition, guess what? That tradition is also going to be broken. So human traditions are not perfect, are broken. They are fallible. 
And then when he says the elemental, basic spiritual force of the world, another translation says the basic principles of this world, another translation says according to the basic things the people of this world believe, again, it comes down to lower knowledge. Satan and his demons are fallen angels. And so Paul says that the ideas going around are based on fallen man, fallen traditions, and fallen angels. Hmm. And then in verse 9 and 10, he states that in Christ, the fullness of God exists. Everything that God is, is in Christ. Like we read in chapter 1, okay? Uh, and, and like Jesus said as well, he spoke to Philip, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is revealed in Christ. In verse 9 and 10, he states that Christ in him is the fullness of God. Remember in chapter 1 verse 19, he said that it pleased the Father that in Christ the fullness of God should dwell. All that God is, is in Christ. He's the creator of all things and the one who sustains all things. Notice he says in bodily form. There were those back in those days and they stole some ideas like that today. That they believed that the spirit was good but the body was bad. And so some would say that Jesus came only as a spirit because nothing good could come in a bodily form and so it must have been only a spirit that came to reveal the will of God to us but he says no he was in bodily form he could not um, uh, Paul makes it clear that Jesus came in a body and guess what Jesus still lives in a body a glorified eternal body and when we are resurrected or transformed at the coming of Jesus we are going to live in bodies for eternity spirit soul and body there is nothing wrong with the body nothing wrong with the flesh as long as it is sanctified and given unto the Lord. Amen? And then in verse 10, Paul states, listen, Paul states that Jesus is the head over every power and authority. Every. The word every means every because that's what every means. All right? No matter what you can think of, physical, material, spiritual, Jesus is head over all. In chapter 116, it was stated that Jesus created every power and authority. Here he says that he's the head over every power and authority. What does that say about Jesus Christ? It says that Jesus Christ has colossal authority. Amen? You can't have any more authority than that when you've got all authority over everything. Amen? He is the highest authority that there is in the universe. Hallelujah. And the instruction is for the church not to be intimidated by all the fancy sounding arguments and philosophies of the world. But to know that Christ is far above all human knowledge and philosophies. And that we are in him. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, the next few verses reveal what that colossal authority can accomplish in us. Verses 11 to 14. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. The moment you hear circumcision, think Jewish tradition. What Paul was beginning to approach now are the ideas that some of the Jews wanted the Christians, the non-Jewish Christians, the Gentiles, to follow. Amen? For example, they wanted all the Gentiles to be circumcised, to be better Christians. <laughs> and so Paul says, listen, your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. What does that mean? Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith. Through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive with Christ. Listen. He forgave us 
all our sins. How many of your sins were forgiven? All. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, we had a charge against us, but he canceled it, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. We, we need to stop and, and, and think through some of these things. Because, you know, it's so easy to just think back, oh, Jesus died and rose. When you was lying on that cross, your sins, sir, your sins, my sister, your sins, everyone watching, all of us, my sins, each one of our charge, those charges against us. You know, like when, 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 when the sheriff comes to hand you a summons, you have been charged. This is what you've done. We had charges against us. When Jesus died on the cross, all our charges were nailed on the cross with him. And the Bible says he forgave us. He took that charge away. Wow. All we have to do is receive the gift of salvation. Turn our backs on sin, follow Jesus. And that's it. We are free. Nothing more against us. And notice in this passage the whole symbolism of death, burial, and resurrection during baptism. Because that's what baptism symbolizes. But also notice that Paul takes it for granted that every believer in Colossae had been baptized. That's why he mentions it just like that. He took it for granted. They had all been baptized after putting their faith in Christ. Listen, baptism is a step of obedience as well as an identification with Christ and a testimony or dedication of your faith to him. Testimony of your, of your, of your dedication of your faith to him. Amen? So, if you have believed in Jesus as your Savior, but have not been baptized after believing in Jesus, you should do so at our next opportunity. We will announce a baptism service this year still. So if you have not been baptized, uh, consider it. When you put your faith in Jesus, a spiritual circumcision takes place. We are made alive in Christ. Our sins are forgiven. All charges against us are canceled. It is not a quick pardon that God gave us. Someone had to pay for your sins and my sins. It happened at the cross. In any given country, if the Supreme Court gives you a pardon, you are free. No matter if you are guilty of a crime or not, if the Supreme Court says you are pardoned, you are guiltless, you can walk out and live a free life because it's the Supreme Court. Now Jesus is not just the supreme authority of a nation. He is the supreme authority of the universe. And when he says, you are free, you are forgiven, then that's it. What else do I need? What else must I do? Nothing. The supreme authority has declared me free, forgiven. Praise God. Are you getting the magnitude of his authority? Hmm? It is colossal. Verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. <laughs> now, there's a whole sermon over here, okay, which I'm not going to. But in the first century, in ancient times, when emperors and armies uh, went out to conquer, they would bring back the, the spoils. They would enter their home city in a triumphant a triumphant procession. The crowds would come and, and welcome them and, and cheer them. And as they came into the city, they would bring with them and, and show everybody what they had conquered. They would bring that the kings and the princes would come in as prisoners. They would bring treasures and, 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 and animals, strange animals they found. All this was a, a major, major procession of victory. Well, it says here that when Jesus died on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection 
put on a display of victory over the devil and his hosts. Whatever power and authority the devil had, Jesus took away. Instead of being a symbol of death, the cross became a symbol of victory. You see, the worst the enemy can do is kill you. <laughs> he can't do anything more than that. And the enemy killed Jesus. And he thought, that's it. Done. We destroyed him. <laughs> but guess what? On the third day, he came back to life. And he cannot be killed again. Never, ever. And so he overcame death. And so the enemy knows now. His days are counted because what happened to Jesus is going to happen to us. Our spirits are already alive forever. No hell for those who believe in Jesus. And the day is coming when we will be either changed or resurrected and death shall be no more. When Jesus returns, when he reigns, he's going to, be, he's going to reign over death as well. Amen. Jesus overcame death. And the day is coming when death will no longer exist. Verses 16 to 17. Therefore, do not let... Because of what I've just said. Because of the victory of Jesus. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or in regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. A lot of the Jewish laws, uh, uh, the, the, the practices they had, they were all pointing to a day when Messiah would come. Messiah is here. And therefore, those shadows, those symbols, those signs are no longer necessary. And so don't let anybody, he says here, don't let anybody force you to obey those ancient things. These instructions are probably directed at the religious Jews who wanted the Gentiles to abide by the same Jewish rituals. Keep the Sabbath, you know, eat some things, don't eat some things. And Paul makes it clear that uh, those things were pointing to the future. The mystery was Christ. Now that he is here, no need for those things anymore. But now, there are still religious groups today still who have strict rules about eating, about when you go to church, okay, about how you dress, about festivals and special dates, and they try to layer this onto you. You've got to believe in Jesus and, okay, you get that? You've got to believe in Jesus and you've got to go to church on this day. You've got to believe in Jesus and you've got to follow this ritual. You've got to believe in Jesus and you've got to honor this, this, and that. You've got to believe in Jesus and you can't eat this and you can't eat that. Did you hear that? In the mystery of God, in Christ, there is no and. Jesus has all authority. And so he says, don't let anyone judge you or put this thing on you all right these things are not necessary for salvation Jesus has come there is no need if you prefer to eat some foods over others that's fine that's your choice if you prefer not to drink some things and drink something else that's your choice if you prefer to go to church on a certain day instead of another day that's your choice but do not make that a rule for every other believer. Never add that to the list of things for salvation. There is no list of things for salvation. Salvation is not in a list. It's in a person, Jesus Christ. Amen. And then in verses 18 to 19, he's addressing the, uh, the, the, the thing there in Colossae. Do not let anyone... Who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. 
They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. And here he's addressing the beliefs of the angel cult at Colossae. These people could be so persuasive. They could give so much detail of their angel encounters. But Paul warns against this. Are angels real? Of course they are. But they are ministering spirits on our behalf. Amen? Yes, sometimes they can be messengers. But they will never be greater than Christ. Nor reveal anything that God has not already revealed in his word. Hmm? It is of concern that these days, there are so many Christians who are taken up by a desire to see angels or to follow visions or dreams given by angels. I've, I've heard people and I've heard of people, they'll spend a whole sermon talking about some angelic revelation, some angelic visitation, and then get the church to do what the angel said which very often has nothing to do with what the Bible says. Just because you've had a supernatural encounter doesn't mean it comes from Christ. Beware. Beware. People are being deceived by so-called instructions given by angels. There are two great religions in the world. One is a Christian sect. The other is a world religion. Both of them started because angels came to someone and started giving them a revelation. And today, billions of people are deceived. And Paul warned, even if an angel preaches another gospel, he must be forgotten, anathema, cursed. But no, people say, oh, angels. And then they get into trouble. And they give other people trouble and cause trouble. Church, beware. Jesus is everything. He has all the authority. All the knowledge is not in angels. It's not in secret groups. It's in Jesus. Jesus and the word of God. That's all. Because Jesus will speak to you through the word. The word will point you to Jesus. As a fellowship with him, he will speak to you through the Holy Spirit. Jesus. Those who follow angels have lost touch with Jesus. Verses 20 to 23. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Again, he's talking about those fallen forces of this world. By humans or angels, all of them fallen. Hmm? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. <laughs> Ever heard that? These rules which have to do with things that all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, he says, indeed have an appearance of wisdom. When you see somebody, you know, abstaining from this and, and dressing like that and behaving like this, it does appear to be very good, very honorable, very spiritual. But Paul says, they have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Why? Because at the core, humans remain human. At the core, humans remain sinners. You battle to, to live a pure life. You battle not to think this, not to say that, not to eat this, not. But inside you're burning. And your mind is still running. And then you wonder why so many people, including religious people, who have committed themselves to a, a life of abstinence, land up committing horrible sexual crimes. Because it's human. It's not of God. Legalism. Yeah, he's talking about legalism and asceticism. 
And here, Paul challenges those who perhaps were starting to fall for this deception. If you are dead to Christ in this world, why will you give ears to the demands of the spirit of this world? You know, if you're dead in Christ to this world, in Christ we die to this world, right? That's what baptism symbolizes. That's what happens when you give your life to Christ. If you are dead to this world, why on earth are you listening to the spirits of this world? And when I say spirit of this world, it can mean human traditions and demands as well as demon-inspired traditions and demands. Because very often it starts with human traditions and demands and it develops into demonic stuff. Be careful. Over the years, many Christian groups have fallen for this kind of thing. Strict dress codes have been imposed on church members. Thank God these days, these things have basically fallen away. <laughs> but I remember still in my young days, walking into a youth meeting, I was a youth leader, and I walked into the youth meeting with a t-shirt on, jeans and t-shirt. This is in the 70s, brother. The pastor goes... you go to church you got to use a suit and a tie the tie is very important because the anointing is in the tie <laughs> and then of course in the 80s and 90s it began to change and then it flipped the other side the guys that would not use ties began to condemn the guys with the ties how dare you use ties you must go like this listen I don't care how you come to church if you comfortable with a tie, wear a tie. If you're not comfortable with a tie, don't wear a tie. It strangles me. I don't like a tie. I've got ties, nice ones. And sometimes I wear them. I'll suffer through an evening with them. But do what's comfortable for you. What, you, what you're content with. As long as you're not feeling bad about it, it's okay. Of course the Bible does instruct us to dress decently, obviously. You're not going to do, you know, provocative stuff but there is no dress code you don't have to come to church in a particular color <laughs> amen be careful with that kind of stuff because it seems very humble but I remember back in the church in the holiness churches back in the day when the sisters came with their long hair and their big hats and their long dresses and then they said gossiping and talking about all the others who didn't have such long hair and came with a little bit of makeup to church. What's worse? You see, so pride is there. That's why I say rules, it doesn't change who you are on the inside. You still remain a sinner. So forget about that, guys. Let's get close to Jesus and learn to love one another. And so, as I said, these things have happened over the, year, over the years. But the church, you know, you cannot micromanage the church members. I have to preach Christ to you, and then you've got to sort it out with him. I can't tell you what to eat, what not to eat, what to dress or not to dress. Some take pride that they never drink wine or beer, and they condemn a brother who does. Now, is this piety, or is it pride speaking? There are those who punish their bodies with continuous fastings. Some who, as I mentioned last week, they even hurt themselves in order to please God. Some live a strictly disciplined life, obeying strict religious rules, practices, and so on. Now, nothing wrong with, with being disciplined. But if the point of your discipline is to score points with God and get a better salvation package, you're missing it. You gotta get surprised when you get to heaven. You find there's a brother over there. He didn't pray as much as you did. Didn't go can, come to church as much as you did. Didn't give as much as you did, and he ends up with a better mansion than yours. You're about the taxi driver that got to heaven and he got a massive house. One of the South African taxi drivers. And the dude that was just behind him. When he saw this guy getting a massive message, oh my goodness, I've been a good boy, I've never stolen, I've, I've obeyed all the rules of the road, man. And so when he gets his mansion, it's a tiny little house next to the big mansion of the taxi driver. He says, hey, boy, boy, why, how, come, how come he gets a big mansion? He says, my son, this man caused more people to pray than you could ever get people to pray. <laughs> 
Ah, forget it. South Africans don't understand that. <laughs> anyway, you don't do things to score a better salvation package. There is no such thing as a better salvation package. You are saved or you're not. Now, we can talk about what happens in heaven, about the rewards. That's a different conversation, okay? But salvation, being in Christ, it's only a single thing. All right. The appearance of angels, saints, visions, revelations that take them away from the centurity of Christ must be rejected. Even when they mention Jesus, quote Jesus, but call attention to themselves, exalt themselves, claim to bring a new revelation, reject that kind of stuff. Bottom line, stick to the simplicity of the revealed word of God. Stay in Christ, who is a colossal savior and who has a colossal authority. However, Living in the simplicity of the revealed word of God is not simple. It is not easy. And next week, we will look at this colossal challenge for us. As I close today, let me ask you, apart from your faith in Jesus as your Savior, what other beliefs, traditions, or rituals do you follow to complete your salvation? Apart from the word of God, where else do you go to for spiritual guidance? You see, if you need something more than just your faith in Jesus to believe that you are saved, you have become a victim of the heresies that threatened the church at Colossae. In your heart and in your mind, you do not believe that Jesus is the ultimate and supreme authority. Now, listen, I'm not saying that you, you, you can't ask for help. No, it's okay. Among the church, we, we do ask for help. We ask for counsel. But you see, the help and counsel we give is all based what? In the word of God. We help one another to stay faithful to God, to overcome difficulties and, and battles in our life. But we do it by what? Together going to Jesus and to his word, praying and finding answers in him. But I'm referring to people that go outside that. Maybe card reading, maybe horoscopes, <laughs> maybe some kind of guru, voodoo, mm, ah, you know, whatever, looks into a ball and, you know. Be careful with those things, guys. Are you superstitious? Huh? Do you trust good luck medallions or religious symbols to protect you? Have you ever been tempted to forsake Christianity? If so, why? What ideas or philosophies or persuasive words caused you to doubt. Listen, 2,000 years have gone by since this letter was written. And yet, those opposing forces to Christianity are still with us today in one form or another. Today, we are reminded that all these ideas come from lesser beings, from fallen beings. Today, we are reminded that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Hmm. All the treasures of knowledge in Christ. And today we are instructed to continue to live in him, in close fellowship with him. And not to be deceived by the teachings and ideas that are not clearly stated in the revealed word of God. Please read the book of Colossians again this week. Go through it one chapter a day for four days. And we'll pick up on chapter three next week. Amen. Let us stand and let us close in prayer. And I want us just to take a moment as we stand a moment and, and think through some of the things you've heard today. Think of those questions I was asking you just now. Is Jesus Christ all sufficient to you? Are you still afraid of other spiritual forces? Are you afraid of curses? 
Are you afraid of demonic activity? Listen to the word of God today. Listen to what Jesus declares. He has all authority. Nothing that you may fear can harm you if you trust in Jesus. Because his authority is greater than anything that we may fear on this earth. Do you believe that? I want to encourage you, whether you're watching us, whether you're here today, I want to encourage you to surrender every fear, every pressure that you feel to perform to complete your salvation. Remember, Jesus has paid the full price for your salvation. All you've got to do is follow him day by day. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters here, for everyone watching, Lord, or listening. Oh, God, please open our hearts and our minds to get a glimpse of the magnitude of your authority, the greatness of your salvation, the greatness of your love for us. Not only are you a colossal savior, but you have a colossal authority, Lord God, that nothing in this world can surpass. Therefore, there is nothing in this world that we should fear, Lord, because you are everything. Help us to have discernment in these things. Help us to have the courage to turn our backs on anything that comes in between us and your authority, Lord. That anything that would distract us from worshiping you completely and totally, Lord Jesus. Help us to discern and turn away from any other intermediary between us and you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, that if anyone that is listening needs a breakthrough, I pray that you'll set them free today, Lord God. I pray for the revelation of your Holy Spirit upon their lives and set them free, Lord. I break the spirit of lies upon every life that has been lied to. I take authority of the spirit of deception in Jesus' name. You shall deceive God's people no more. But we shall worship the one. <laughs> The one who has completed our salvation, who has accepted us and is changing us, who loves us and who has declared us sinless before him, before God. We worship you today, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Come on, give Jesus a clap offering. Worshiping this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. May the love of God the Father, ah, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain with you as you go into this week, as you study Colossians, as you become aware of the colossal authority of Jesus Christ over your life, setting you free from fear of any bondage. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day and a blessed week. Amen.